It is now day seven without a shower. You know, in preparation for this Sunday, I decided last Monday that I was not going to clean myself for a week, no matter what. Do you ever have these moments where you make a grandiose decision? And, and it seems, I don't want to blame God, but let, let's just go with this. It seems like God or the fates that be have a way of testing your mettle. You know what I mean, right? You pray for patience, Lord, that I would have patience. And so what happens the very next day? They tear, they tear up nine miles of road that you have to commute. You know what I mean? So it was last Monday. And I decided I was not going to take place in any kind of hygienic activity, save for brushing my teeth, because, I mean, you got to draw a limit somewhere for an entire week. Ironically, it was that same Monday that my eight-year-old son, Ben, stayed home from school and started complaining about a stomach ache, which we thought was a touch of the flu, until he started throwing around lines and words like, Mom, it feels like someone is stabbing me with swords in my stomach. I've shared this with you before. Tina and I aren't exactly overreactionary parents, so we, we did what any good parent would do in a situation like this. Suck it up. But you have these moments where you see it's starting to, to degenerate and it's getting worse. And, and, and my wife in her wisdom ends up giving a call to the pediatrician who goes, it sounds like appendicitis. Get him to the ER right now. It's funny, get him to the ER right now, because get him to the ER right now never means we'll get through the ER right now. And after about eight hours of ordeal, bouncing between actually two ERs, trying to see a doctor. The blood tests confirm it, the urine sample confirms that everything else confirms that the CAT scan shows it clearly. That appendix has got to come out. And it's got to come out now. It's crazy. They showed us, it's about this big the size of your pinky. This little thing just gets some dirt in the wrong place, and it doesn't pass through. And to see how that little bit of dirt caused such pain and misery and suffering and sickness. And honestly, a hundred years ago would have been a death sentence. And so it was late in the ER that Monday night, 2 a.m., after sitting in an ER all day, that we're told Ben is going to have emergency surgery that morning, 6 a.m. on Tuesday. So Tina camps down for the night. I go home and clear the deck for two hours. I come back, make sure the kids are all right, get back in time. And Ben begins his ordeal. Surgery that morning into recovery afterwards, into sleeping most of the day between a mixture of pain and pain medication, uh, waking up to morphing, morphining him back out. And of course, his parents deciding, how do we do the trade-off? Who stays tonight? Who goes home? Who goes home tonight? Who stays with Ben? And so since Tina stayed Monday, I decided to stay Tuesday, 24 hours at this point into the ordeal. 
of being up all night, tired, greasy, in a hospital, wanting to be clean. You know, there is nothing like sleeping in a pull-out bed in a hospital, in your clothes, to make you just feel good all over. You, you know what I mean? And uh, that bleeds into Wednesday, bleeds into Thursday. And when the smell of hospital is just clinging to you, you know sometimes when you can feel what is on you, yearning to be clean. Ben is doing amazing, by the way. I want to thank each of you who have been uh, just expressing your concern. Each of you have been praying for him. There were some setbacks in the hospital stay, turned longer, but he actually came to church with us today. And while he's not doing cartwheels yet, we're seeing the progression every day, so thank you for that. But you know, there's these moments where you're going, this was a really lousy week to decide not to, not to pursue the personal hygiene. Day three, day four, Friday comes around. Life is coming back to normal. I decide to go for that Friday morning run. It is now four days without a shower. Stinking like hospital, wearing the same clothes. And there's nothing for someone like me to go out for a run like that. And you just get that nice sheen of sweat all over. And go, oh boy, I get to cling in that for the next two days. It led to coming here at FOF and doing some work out in the garage. Garages, by nature, are dirty places. And it just keeps compounding and compounding. It was Friday that my wife finally sent me into exile. You know, it was like, wrap your body in saran wrap or stay away from me. Do you know how you know when you're dirty? When you start stinking not just to other people, but you start stinking to yourself. I tell you, I, I can't do this. It, it's just, it, it's abhorrent. The odors that are coming out of me right now. Have you ever tried not changing your underwear for five days? <laughs> Don't judge a person until you sit in there. Never mind. <laughs> you know, I, it, this mud bath that I took today, I gotta tell you, it actually felt good. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry if I stink, because I know I do. And I'm sorry if the way I look is not appropriate for what we're doing here today. And I'm sorry if I'm offending you, and, and I'm sorry if this is making you uncomfortable or creating something unpleasant right now, but I gotta be straight up with you. What I really want right now is not your forgiveness. What I really want is just to have a good, long shower. What I really want is just to be clean. There's a, there's a story. It's about a beggar who is brought before a king in the olden days. And he comes into the palace in all its opulence and majesty. And, he, and he's brought before the king in the court. And, and, and the stench and the filth of this man is, is, is defacing everything he touches. 
To stand before the king like this is not only something that's rude and offensive, it's something that's punishable. And he's brought before the king and he's brought before the court. And you can see the people catch their breath as they're offended by this man. But the king, feeling good and generous and wanting to show how merciful he is, looks at the beggar and he goes, You come into my court filthy, but I forgive you. Go on your way. To which the beggar answers, But sir, that I would be clean. What are you looking for from God today? Three weeks ago, we began talking about what Jesus does. What his death on the cross accomplishes for you and me. And what we've spent time exploring is how by his death on the cross, Jesus forgives us. By his death on the cross, how Jesus ransoms us. He buys us back from slavery and abduction. How by his blood and death on the cross, Jesus adopts us. And we become stepchildren of God, adopted children of God, now heirs to his promise. But what we're going to be talking about today is something more. See, God is eager to forgive the offenses we have before him, but God is not content to leave us at simple forgiveness. What God desires is that you and I also be clean. There's a challenge to, to traditional Protestant theology, which spends so much time talking about how Jesus forgives us. And it equates it to this. It says simply, thinking about Jesus' blood is something that only forgives us, is thinking about ourselves as a piece of dog excrement, that has a nice layer of snow that falls on top of it. We might look clean on the outside, but are we the still same rotten thing on the inside? And is there something deeper at the core of who we are that God wants to do for you and me? And the message of Jesus is clear. What he wants to do is make us clean. I mean, you see this throughout the New Testament. There's this, this one amazing story, and, and it's just one of many, where Jesus is walking uh, on his way, and he's going from town to town proclaiming that this kingdom is coming, that he's going to usher in, which brings goodness and forgiveness and the power of God. And it says that on his way, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. And when he saw Jesus... He fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, this past week, it's given me some time to reflect on what it must have been like to be this man. To have a skin condition like that that makes you feel dirty all over in a day and age where you can't take a hot bath where there isn't soap or a hot shower, where the clothes that you're wearing are the same clothes that you'll be wearing every day, lucky if you wash them within a few months' time. And how everything has to just exasperate 
This condition he has and how filthy and dirty and painful and irritated he must feel. And just going a week, it's made me, well, empathize with the guy. Understanding why a person would beg to be clean. And it says he begs Jesus that you would make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing be clean. And it says that immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus then orders him. He says, don't go tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to this. The writer to the Hebrews picks up on this idea of cleansing when he says this about Jesus. How much more then will the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit who offered himself clean and unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. We serve a God who hungers and has the ability to make us clean. There's a, a passage in the Bible that I think is, is a bit of a litmus test, if you will to whether someone is a Christian or not. It says this, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. What, what, what the prophet Isaiah is doing is he's making a reality statement, saying whether you believe it or not, this is true. However, it seems that what the litmus test of someone who is a Christian or not is whether someone comes to the internal realization about this truth. Do you realize that you are unclean? And like that leper, do you hunger to be clean again? The Bible is just amazing for its vividness and its graphicness and the way it likes to get down in the dirt and communicate at a raw, visceral level. This last, this last phrase that all of our righteous acts, even the very good we do are like filthy rags, is a bit cleaned up, shall we say, in English translation. What the prophet says is this, all of us have become like one who is filthy, and all our righteous acts are like used menstrual rags. Do you feel dirty today? Do you feel dirty inside? Do you feel like a used tampon? Do you want to be clean? Because that is what Jesus does. It's been interesting doing this for a week. We're a culture, aren't we? That's obsessed with cleanliness. See, see, we think that what we do for personal hygiene today is normal to the pattern of the world. Okay, really? Like, how many of us here, if you have to go like a day without a shower, just don't really feel like you got started that day? 
You know what I mean? It's like, man, if I don't have it today, I just, oh, I'm just feeling kind of grimy all over. When I think that, like, you know, just 150 years ago, people would go weeks without getting clean. We think of something like lice or like fleas as an abhorrence that happens in extreme circumstances for people for most of this, uni- this world's existence lived with it as a daily reality. You know, how many of us change our clothes every day? Wash our hands several times a day. Eat out of dishes that have been dumped in something that is blazing hot with sanitation liquid, purifying it every step of the way. We are a people obsessed with smelling nice, looking nice, feeling clean, and being clean, aren't we? on the outside. But what's amazing with God is that he's more concerned with how we are on the inside. And what I think is that it's really easy to be so obsessed with cleanliness out here that we fail to pay the same attention to the cleanliness or lack thereof in here. There was a group of people in Jesus' day, they were known as the Pharisees. They were the religious extremists. They were people who loved God. They were people obsessed with obeying God and finding cleanliness before him. They would set up rule upon rule and law upon law and and try to obey command after command after command because they thought in that kind of way somehow they would be clean before God. And Jesus comes to them and he says this, woe to you. And you never want Jesus to say this to you. You never want him to look at you and say, woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And I love this, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside, and then the outside will be clean. He goes on, and he says this, Woe to you, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And I wonder how many times do I go through life so aware of how I feel and look on the outside that I, that I lose sight of the more important cleansing within. See, this is what's been fascinating this week. I thought that this, I thought that this was going to feel horrible. When I started on this Monday, I thought that by Wednesday, I was going to feel so miserable on a moment-by-moment basis that I would have to pull the plug, jump in the scour, jump in the shower, get out the SOS, and start going to work. You know what I mean? You know what I discovered? And it was fascinating to me. It was actually, it it was revelatory. You kind of get used to this. You know, normally I go for a run. I've got to hit that shower within an hour flat because I feel miserable. 
I've noticed that when you live in filth, filthy starts to feel normal. You know, I remember back in like high school, if I wore a pair of jeans like more than two times in a row before washing them, look out, man, those things are feeling soft and slick. That's gross, right? I remember my mom actually used to iron our jeans. And some of you are going, well, yeah. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands in this room, but how many of us have gotten accustomed to, yeah, same pair of pants five times, seven times, two weeks. Yeah, you know it's you, right? Isn't it weird how things that seem so abhorrent and gross when we're distanced from them, when we start to get accustomed to them, become completely normal? I had this buddy in college, and you know any gross story is always going to start with, I had this buddy in college. I remember, he was this guy who was very fastidious in terms of his appearance and his grooming, and yet he had a couple of weird clerks, quirks, namely this, he never washed his towels, he never washed his sheets. Now when I say never, what I mean is that he would wait till semester end to ever wash his towels or sheets. Now it gets worse because he was a runner a lot more than me. He was one of these three to five mile a day kind of guys. He wouldn't wear socks when he would put on his shoes. I remember it got to the point he would have to leave his shoes out in the hall. And I remember not making this up, someone screaming out down the hall, who puked? <laughs> like, in his shoes. He would come back from a run on a hot September day here in the Midwest. It would be 90 degrees. He would be coated in sweat. He would take the towel that he would take a shower with to dry off, and he would lay it out on our floor and lay out and dry off on it from his sweat to cool down, after which he would stand up promptly, fold up his towel, hang it on the rack, and use it to take a shower the next day. I remember when I couldn't walk by the sink anymore because of the smell that would emit off this towel. And the irony of it is that in every other conceivable way, he was the most well-groomed, clean-cut guy you ever met. But it's odd, there's something about living in filth that makes you accustomed to it. Same roommate, I gotta tell you this one, because it's too good to pass up. We had public showers, meaning you had your own shower stall, but the entire wing would use these four or five showers that were in the bathroom complex at the end of the hall. Now, gross things happen in college showers. I remember there was this pair of boxer shorts, and they were very, they were very um, memorable because they had pictures of golfers all over them and had the word golf written all over it. You're not going to mistake these with any ordinary average pair. And I remember going in that shower one day and going, huh, there's a rolled up pair of goxer shorts there. And so what do you do? You promptly stop out of that one, you step to the next shower, shower stall, and you go on in and stay away. I remember going by five days later. Custodians didn't even want to touch these things. Still heaped up in the corner. Now to this day, I don't know if I was being set up or if what happened next was actually as truly gross as I'm about to share. I'm sitting in the room, I'm watching TV. My roommate goes down to take a shower. He comes back in, Dave, this is awesome. I found a pair of boxer shorts. 
he opens his underwear drawer, takes the pair, and puts them in. Like, dude, aren't you going to wash those? No, no, I think they'll be all right. In every other way, as clean as you could possibly be. I knew another guy in college, because it always comes back to college. He told me about the first time he dropped his toothbrush in the shower. <laughs> we all know what you call the hazmat team. They take it away. It incinerates. You buy a new toothbrush now, today, right? But then it happens a second time with your new toothbrush. Darn it! And you go and buy a third. And you ever have these moments where it's a war of attrition? And he drops it the third time, and you have this moment where you go, so you turn the water really hot, and you rinse it down really good, and you do the dirty deed, because you don't want to go buy a new toothbrush again. The irony is he dropped a lot of toothbrushes after that. Each time. Didn't care so much how clean it was afterwards. What happened the first time you dropped something on the floor and said five seconds and put it back in your mouth? You ever notice how five seconds sometimes turns to 10? Or 15? See, I think sin is that way. These things that we call sin, they're not just offenses to God. They actually do something to us. They soil us. They stain us. They make us gross and yucky and filthy and dirty. And I think the first time we come into contact with a sin that we're not used to swimming in the stream of, it's abhorrent, it's gross, keep me away from that. And if we fall into it, we feel miserable. And we cry out to God, Lord, that you would make me clean. But have you noticed? That the longer you live in a certain pattern, the longer you get used to a certain way of being, the longer a certain condition within you seems to stick on you, the more it just kind of stains and becomes a part of you and starts becoming the tone of your skin and suddenly it doesn't feel so bad anymore. Paul writes this. He says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. People who didn't have God's law, so they just go doing whatever. He says, they are separated from the life of God due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in all kinds of, of impurity with a continual lust for more. I wonder, how long have we been swimming in certain areas of mud in our life that we have lost sensitivity to the fact that we are actually dirty and unclean. But Jesus comes because he wants you and he wants me to be clean. And his blood has the power to take any stain away. Because see, I know it right now. I'm looking out at you, and you guys look a whole lot better than me. 
And I guarantee you, right now, you smell a whole lot better than me. But I know it, guys, that there's a lot of you who are here today who deep in your hearts feel filthy and mired and dirty. And my bet is some of you are just embarrassed about it. It's kind of like the syndrome when you don't want someone to come to your house unexpected because they'll see the real slob that you are. You know what I mean? You ever have that? And you're embarrassed to let someone into your heart because part of you is embarrassed to let someone else possibly see how dirty you really are. And I know, guys, that there's some of you who are here today who know you're dirty. And it's like a rash. It's like a skin condition. You scrub it and you work at it even to the point that you bleed. But no matter what you do, it's never going to make you clean. It's like having one of those conditions where you just have like a body odor, where your breath perpetually stinks and no matter how much mouthwash you gargle, it's like there's something inside of you that's causing you to be foul and no matter what you do, you can't be clean. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus comes and he says, I've not only come to forgive you, I've not only come to ransom you, I've not only come to adopt you, I can make you clean. No matter how filthy your heart, I can make it clean. No matter how mired in the mud you are right now, I can make you clean. No matter how stained and dirty and ruined you feel, what Jesus says is, I can change you. I can come right down into the mud in that place. And my blood can wash you clean. As one writer puts, and wash you whiter than snow. That's what Jesus does for you and for me. Do you know what I've learned about showers? They don't last. Have you ever noticed that even when we get clean, we get dirty again? You know, it's not like I can take a shower and go, I'm going to take a shower on July 3rd of 1984, and it's just going to kind of work with me. You know what I mean? I, it's like, do we have these moments where, 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 where someone proclaims to us, you're dirty, and I go, I want to be clean, and I decided to take a shower on... No, because what happens is even after we get clean, we get dirty again, don't we? This is what repentance is all about. Uh, John, an, an early follower of Jesus, he writes this. He says, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim to not be dirty, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful Injust and will forgive our sins, period. But it says more than that, doesn't it? He'll forgive our sins, but he'll do something more. 
He'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. See, many of us in this room, I think, have come to realize that Jesus can make us clean. And at some point in our lives, I bet many of us have come to a place where we have given our lives to him and have accepted his grace. But I bet that since that time, many of you have gotten dirty again. And what's so amazing about the blood of Jesus is it not only cleans us once, but he invites us back to it again and again and again. To come before him and go, God, I got dirty again, and man, God, I want to be clean. To stand before him again and say, Lord, I know you washed me once, but I fell in the mud. That you would make me clean. To come before him and say, Jesus, I know that you paid this price to wash me clean, but I got to be honest. I like how this feels. I've gotten used to it and it's become a part of me and I keep running back. Can you make me clean? It's like Jesus invites us to come to him for constant purification. To wash those things away again. It's like chlorinating your pool. You don't just do it once, you got to do it daily. Am I right? Otherwise, nasty green things start floating in that place. What nasty green things are in your soul today? What pond scum is clinging to your heart? Jesus invites you to come and simply say, Lord, make me clean. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Looking at these past few weeks, that has all kinds of implications. It means this. While we were still sinning and offending God and racking up a debt, He forgave us and wiped our ledger. While we were still in captivity and slave, God ransomed us. While we were outcasts and orphans, he adopted us. And while we are still dirty, Jesus comes to wash you and me. I cannot wait for three hours to go by when I can go home and stop smelling like this. I wonder if I have the same hunger for a cleanliness of soul. I wonder. Do you? I want to invite you to rise. The band's going to come forward. We're going to move into a time of of worship and prayer. And I want to talk specifically to those of you in the room right now who, despite the fact that you're clean out here, are not clean in here, but like that leper in the streets, have been crying or begging out to God, Lord, that you would make me clean.
I'd like to invite you into a time of prayer right now. And I'd like to invite you to do this. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes to block everyone else out, but to close your eyes so as to give other people the freedom to come to God in this moment without being under an eye as well. And we're going to pray. And I invite you to take whatever filth or uncleanness you have before God to confess it to him. As I pray, weave in your own prayers and together we'll say these words of Romans 5, 8 and make it your cry to Jesus saying, Lord, make me clean. So God, we come as a people who are filthy. Lord, your scripture says that even our, our righteous acts, even the good things that we do are, are filthy rags. Lord, and some of us have come to realize this. Lord, like that leper in the street, we want to be clean. Lord, make us clean. Lord, make us clean for whatever has come and stained us. Make us clean for whatever has come to take root in our heart. Cleanse us, God. Cleanse us not just on the outside, but cleanse us on the inside. And let us know, God, that you come to us now, here, today, to do just that. For your word says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, help us to know that we don't have to get ourselves cleaned up before we can come into your presence. Help us know that you come down to us in the mud, in the filth, in the dirt. Because what your word says is this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we know we get dirty again and again and again. You wash us again and again and again and we come back. But your grace knows no end. So God, may those of us who are dirty, filthy, spoiled, and rotting in the core. May we claim your words today. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us.